let's see what happens. He kind of measured it from there. He's going back, back. That brain may well be it. The people are excited. They like this. I can hear his engines revving now. Air Jordan ready to take off. <laughs> Chicago. Basketball is one of the greatest sports in terms of storytelling. Durant versus Durant, it's Kobe versus Shaq. The storylines that get generated uh, by athletes and by sport culture, um, I think really mimic what what people um, are searching for, and that is, and that's what, and that's what Nike stands for, is this idea of unlocking human potential. So we love the possibility, you know, there's always the opportunity. There's the underdog story, there's the favorite, there is so many things. Before we let the stories of the past shape your future, it would mean the world to me if you could follow us or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us. Enjoy the conversation. So, without any further ado, Brandon, let the stories of the past shape your future on the Quoting Life Podcast. Scott Munson, what an honor to have you on. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. So first question we typically ask our guests as we try to tell people stories on this podcast is the beginning, the opening chapters. And I'm really curious to see what would those opening chapters be for you? Because as we're going to dig deep into this conversation, Nike is for sure one of the greatest stories ever told. But what makes that company's stories so great is because of all the people that have worked for that company. And so I'm really curious as to see what are your early beginnings? What are those initial chapters? Okay. Uh, well, I, you know, I'd always, always been captivated by the Nike brand. You know, I, I, I grew up, you know, in the era of Jordan, um, the, the area, uh, I was a soccer player. So, you know, this idea of the positioning they had in soccer called brilliant football was unique and different and exciting. And there was a commercial I remember called good versus evil that just, you know, got me into this idea of, I think I want to be a marketer. I I'm really excited about this brand like Nike because they've just tapped into some sort of world that's exciting to me and it's in sports. But my, my first chapter would be sort of, I guess the athlete. I, I played soccer at a pretty high level. It led to uh, an opportunity in college. It led to an opportunity playing for Canada and it led to a couple of years of playing professional. But I think sport, the game of soccer was a teacher for me. There were so many values it taught um, about hard work and um, camaraderie and dedication and I guess honesty and integrity and all those things were just built into the game. And so I just, I thought, what could you work in the sports industry? Is that a job? You know, I just did, you didn't know. And uh, you were like, who are these, who are these people that might be working for Nike? So I, um, soccer gave me a chance to work in the sports industry for our local professional team, um, the Vancouver 86ers. I was playing for them, but then I had an opportunity to go into the front office and work for them. And, uh, it was fascinating. Um, you know, I was doing marketing and sales and I was, I was hustling and I was trying to sell the game day program sponsorship. And I was trying to run the games, you know, running events, holding, holding, um, the, uh, seasonal games in the stadium at Swangard stadium. It was, I wouldn't trade the experience for the world, but it was hard. And so that got me into it that I would say that's probably my first chapter 
as an athlete and getting into the sports industry and saying, this is what I want to do for a living. Um, and Nike came calling after that, but that could be a different chapter. And sticking to sports, you've mentioned there about all the lessons it teaches you. And, you know, often the saying that people who've played soccer say it's a uh, football is life or uh, things along those lines. And I was watching this year's, you know, finals, whether it's uh, the Super Bowl, 100 million viewers, NBA finals, 12 million viewers, the World Cup uh, last year, over 1.5 billion uh, viewers total. And I was thinking the other day, what is it about sports that makes it so that everyone turns into it? And I think from my perspective, it's the stories. And seeing how you're the VP of basketball for Nike, I think basketball is one of the greatest sports in terms of storytelling because of how it's 5v5, but often there's so many matchups. It's LeBron versus Durant. It's Kobe versus Shaq. There's so many stories within sports. And I think that's what makes sports so entertaining to everyone. Would you agree? Yeah, I think you're tapping into it. I mean, the, the storylines that get generated uh, by athletes and by sport culture, um, I think really mimic what what people um, are searching for. And that is, and that's what, and that's what Nike stands for is this idea of unlocking human potential. So we love the possibility, you know, there's always the opportunity. There's the underdog story. There's the favorite. There is so many things. And, and in this culture, we love a winner, you know? And so um, there's always, it's, it's just so tempting. And I think just that possibility, um, is something that continues to to drive people uh and sports uh you know is a form of escapism and it's a, a form of uh dreaming and dreaming big you know you mentioned uh, soccer being the global game in terms of its uh democracy of it and the one word that you talk to kids when they're really young around the world is that, that just keeps them dreaming and playing is this idea of hope and that that is for the fan as well. And so I think that's what sports taps into. Yeah. Um, when I in the stadium and there's people surrounding me, there's like energy, there's chanting. It feels really energetic. And I really love the feeling that it gives me the sports, the stories and all of that. I love following it for Nike. Why do you think? It's so influential. Why do you think it's such a sports brand that people follow? Well, we were we were we're a company that was you know founded uh, by runners for runners. So our you know our founders you know Bill Knight um, and Bill Bowerman. That's that's what they were, and they they, the early employees were just the consumer, you know, they were the athletes and they knew what they needed and they were just driven to serve athletes. So we've always had at the core of our identity, our DNA is to always, you know, listen to the voice of the athlete. And we've been saying that inside this place for 50 years. And so that just rings true still today. I, I would also say that, you know, we've always, you know, made sure that we are a youth brand. So we stay young um, and speak to youth and speak to the next generation. We've always been grounded in this idea of being an innovation brand. Um, and that has helped us sort of move the sports 
performance and industry forward. And we sort of never rest, you know, we're every season or every year trying to reinvent ourselves from a product standpoint to make athletes better. And then I spoke, uh, the third thing is just, you know, human potential. And I spoke to that and, you know, that, that, that's manifested it in, in sort of our, our motto, you know, just do it. Or another interpretation of it is there is no finish line. Those things have been grounding us, uh, for a long time in our, you know, it's, it evolves and changes a little bit over time, but at its core stays the same. And right now, you know, our, we sort of have our, our vision of this idea of make sport a daily habit. And that's sort of the athlete asterisk, we call it. If you have a body, you're an athlete. And it's just trying to be relevant to everybody. You know, sport uh, should be a right, we believe. It's not always. Um, so how do you access that? And we think sport can change lives and, and build, help build communities. So those are the things we're grounded on. And that's why we're passionate about it. And um, I think that's some of the, you know, some of those, those principles um, that grounding is what has made this brand so strong and so successful. And you mentioned two things there, innovation and just do it. And when you mentioned those two things, the thing that instantly pops to mind is risk taking. And just recently I've watched the new air movie and it was so brilliantly portrayed um, about Sonny Vaccaro's story and how he pinpointed Michael Jordan off of that shot when he was with North Carolina. And the movie really portrays how he just took a huge risk. And then, you know, Phil at the beginning of the movie, he's uncertain, but then he taps into those roots of Nike and says, yeah, we're going to go for it. And just do it is really an emblem of that risk-taking factor. And I'm wondering throughout your 26 years of Nike, how has risk-taking played a role in your career? Well, I'm, I'm lucky because in my, in my personal life, I'm risk averse, but <laughs> at Nike, you get really encouraged to, to take risks if, if it's a calculated risk, you know, and, and when I say that is like, what's championed here, um, is this idea of instinct and gut. And, um, that's the way Phil and the movie air was portrayed. And that's really what he and leadership have been like. And, um, if you are sort of listening to the voice of the athlete, if you feel you've got the right insight and your gut says, you know, go do something it's right. Um, the company will back you. It's amazing. And, um, we've always been in this, we've always been in a reverent brand. We've always taken on issues, you know, it, um, decades ago, we were, we were the first to openly advertise support for, um, a long distance runner with AIDS. We just a couple of years ago, uh, took on the idea of equality, um, in sport. Uh, we got behind Colin Kaepernick. So we're not afraid to take a stand on cultural issues and issues that are important to advance sport forward. And, um, you know, all these examples are, are models for the employees of today, the culture of today. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, we, we are a little bit more sophisticated in this day and age, you know, more of a modern marketing machine where we do a little bit more of, you know, the balance of the art and science. Uh, but deep down, we're a company that's uh, that trusts our gut. Maybe I might catch you a bit of guard, but do you have a favorite just do it moment at Nike? 
Wow. Um, that's a really good one. I, I would say, I would say, I'll, I'll just say one, one that comes to mind really quickly is, you know, a, a few years ago I was in a role that, um, that built the apparel for global, for global football, we call it, or soccer. And I was the head of apparel and, you know, that means being responsible for all the uniforms um, for big tournaments like the World Cup. And this was us preparing for 2018. So it would have been back in like 2017, probably. And we were taking a bit of a risk on a really bold design and collection around Nigeria. Mm. And it it was called Niger. And um, it didn't sit well with some leaders inside the company. They thought we were off base. They didn't think it was authentic whole bunch of reasons why. And we just said, you know what, we're just going to do it. Like, this is what we believe. And I got behind the team. And that's what I think strong leadership looks like. You know, when you when you feel like the team is right, you back them. And so for me, I rolled the dice a little bit there because it wasn't popular. But it turned out to be a, a great um, decision. Uh, you know, it was great product. It was great storytelling. And uh, it was super successful. And if you look now on a lot of the um, a lot of the publications are ranking best uniforms of all time for World Cups. Uh, Nigeria is in the top five, so it was really cool. That was definitely one of my favorite kits of all time, hundred percent. Scott, so it sounds like you made a big decision and you stood by it. And as I'm talking to more and more people, I'm realizing that the most successful people and the most successful brands make big decisions quickly and they stand by it. And I, uh, I see that as boldness. So do you have any stories about your upbringing or any societal factors that you believe contributed and grew your boldness? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think you're onto something. I mean, I spent, you know, 18 years of my career in, um, in marketing here. And so you're you're encouraged and groomed to to be bold and to to kind of swing big, and um, you know I think uh, so you kind of learn it a little bit over over time. I I would say that just my competitiveness, you know, being brought up as an athlete, um, or just I guess competitive spirit anyway like i don't like losing at ping pong you know and um you know let alone you know on a on the field of play uh so there's a there's a competitive spirit that i think burns as an athlete um i think when you start to work with um you know teams and i i tend to thrive in like small teams and i do think small teams can kind of be nimble and you know we call them like a swat team or a tiger team here at nike a lot of times to get something done and to do something that's going to break through, um, you've got to kind of go outside the process a little bit. So I've had experiences working on some of these teams. And so I think that also breeds the culture um, of trying to be bold um, and trying to, we use a word a lot, this idea of disrupt, because it's really easy to fall into a sea of sameness or a comfort zone or the status quo. And so we're always trying to push. And I think it's, all of us can succumb to it. I mean, I just actually came from a meeting where a, 
a colleague of mine said, hey, I think we can be bigger and bolder here. I think we can do things differently. And we're just in the room. We're like, you're right. You're right. Because you kind of just get on the hamster wheel and you go into season by season. And sometimes it's good just to step back and go, hey, what is this all adding up to? Are we really thinking big enough? Um, and then what do we have to disrupt or what do we have to do differently to kind of get out of that thinking? And I think so much of it as well, it's because of this, you mentioned it before, but how Nike stays youthful. And that's something that I find so rare because if you look at a, most companies' life cycle, you know, they start up young and then suddenly they become this corporate environment with the suit and the ties. And Nike yeah. is so opposite to that. How, and even now you mentioned in teams, is there anything you do to, you know, and you, someone new in your team comes in, is there anything you try to instill in them to have that disruption mindset or do they already have it when they come in? Well, you know, we've got, um, we have certain leadership principles um, in the company. There's like 12 of them. And when we evaluate people on those principles, you know, some of them, are, they're kind of, a, a, they're a third of them are based off of personal growth. A third of them are based off of team growth. And then a third of them are based off of business growth. And, you know, one of the biggest ones is cultivate innovation, right? And I think, that's the sort of dream big mentality. And so you're, you're encouraged to, to, to look at that, to understand that and to see how, you know, what kind of impact you're having on the organization, um, from that, from that capacity. So I think that's, that's something, um, that helps. I mean, there's no sort of like standard onboarding. I think the culture has to help you get there. I think, um, you know, a little bit of of rigor in terms of you developing and looking to round out yourself. You know, I think that's really important, um, you know, as you sort of like try to look at uh, being disruptive. I mean, I think the other thing we, we, we would say is, uh, you know, how are you making sure that everything you do is consumer centric? It's really easy to look, get internal. So how are you making sure that you are serving the consumer in a new and better way, you know, and, um, and it can't just be new. It's got to be new and better. Do we really understand who we're serving? You know, yes, we, we, we're a brand that's bought by multiple, um, you know, consumer segments and multiple age ranges. Uh, but we've got to make sure that we are speaking to youth differently than we are serving somebody who might need a, a running shoe for us later in life. So it's a, it's something that's really, really architected and really surgical on how we're serving consumers. But it's like be consumer centric, know who your consumers are and be an expert. It's interesting because there you speak about how you need to know who your consumers are. And I know from our previous conversations, you're a very good listener. And I'm wondering, is that something that you found extremely useful in your career as well? Where do you listen to people differently? Are you able to identify different types of characters and you're able to adapt your leadership style to these people? Or is it more so you have one general philosophy and kind of apply to that? I'm curious. Well, I'm not sure everybody in my life, especially close to me, would say I'm a great listener, but I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, I, I would say in, in business, um, you know, I... I don't think there's like 
one way. I think you do have to be adaptive, but you've got to be authentically adaptive um, to different work styles. You know, there's obviously different personality types that you're leading and working with and everybody, um, well, those different personality types respond differently um, to, to motivation, to feedback. So you've got to be really in tune with who you're working with um, and sensitive and empathetic. And I think that's something that I've been working on over time is to be, you know, uh, more aware of how my behavior impacts people I work with. Um, I, I've always been really curious and I think I've always liked, um, to sort of learn and understand and go deeper. So I, I do sort of listen intently and, but with an, with, with the intention of understanding, sometimes I can, sometimes I ask a lot of questions and people are like, Whoa, what's this guy doing? And I'm like, I actually really love your idea. I want to ask, I want to really boil it down so that it's bulletproof. Cause I let's go forward with this thing. This is amazing. Um, so, you know, and another thing I learned in, um, in doing some consumer research and insight work in this company is that it's actually quite, um, quite beneficial to, to ask questions and not fill the space, like let the silence linger and let the person you've asked the question to fill the space, give them time and see where it leads. Because all too often we want to answer the question for somebody or fill it with our own bias. So I think just sort of like, you know, practicing that is, is really important. And then, then one other thing I would say that we get taught a lot, um, you know, when you're trying to brainstorm and I'm sure you guys might, might, um, do the same is the idea of yes. And very simple, but you know, you're listening to somebody and you acknowledge that you've heard them and you want to build on that idea. And your conversation skills, uh, wanting to develop them, showing your inner curiosity in others, how how deep do you go in someone like I know normally when I talk to friends, we, uh, the people I'm not as close to, we go surface level, but the people I'm familiar with, the people I've lived with my family, we go pretty deep, but I'm wondering about your conversational style. Like when you meet someone new, someone new joins your team and you want to learn about them. How deep do you go? Well, I'll, I'll, Brent, I'm, I've been the same way until recently. You know, a lot of my career, I, you know, probably, um, you know, another generation like mine is sort of kept work and play or personal separate and, um, just kind of did surface, you know, from a, from a personal standpoint. So I think, you know, Nike is a relationship company. And you are really effective here navigating what we call our, our organizational matrix if you are good at relationship building. And that's something that I've had to really work at. And I've gotten better at it over time. And I would think recently, um, uh, you know, you just learn that you need to invest in people and they need to be know that it's not just transactional. And so that's something I'm always working at. Um, 
and if if it's not just transactional, they feel like you care and you're involved and and there's a rapport and it's more about not just the work and um you know you, you tend to earn the trust of people and then you start to becoming more of a high functioning team or a, a high functioning relationship so uh personally i work at that uh, i'm not there yet i'm not a finished article at all uh, more work to come but i would say that when you start to work in teams um you know you you've got the high functioning teams have to be able to have great conversation great debate um, be able to go back and forth, be able to push each other. Um, and it all feel like you're still in a safe place. And, um, I think what you guys might find is, you know, you know, I've been here a long time. I can count on my hand, you know, the number of high functioning teams I've been on, you know, and it's special and you want to cherish it. And, um, and usually you've got some sort of like really great goal that you're going for or a really cool project. Um, or you've just, or you, or you're just in the right spot at the right time. And it's so interesting because if you tie it back to sports, all the great teams, it always seems as if behind the scenes, they also have this amazing relationship and I can liken, you know, Man City the other day, they won the champions league and you see them after the game. And it really does seem as if they come across as friends, even though they're technically working colleagues or even yesterday when, uh, the Denver Nuggets won the NBA Finals. You see Jokic bring Jamal Murray in the pool, and yeah. they really do seem as if they're just—they've been friends for the longest amount of time. I I really feel like the examples you gave, um, and some recent, you know, some other teams of recent champions, they re everybody really understands their role and accepts it. Mm. And I think when you have everyone buying in to that concept you have a chance. And I think, you know, this idea of next person up, you know, which kind of started a couple of years in baseball, I think, you know, I, that mentality, uh, I think is really helpful to building winning teams, um, or positive, positive work environments. But it, it did seem like, you know, the, these championship teams, they, they all sign up for the mission and they, they kind of understand what they're being asked to do. And they, they do that role that, um, you know, the coach or the strategist believe uh, is the most important uh, for the for the greater good. I hate to do this to you, but I do have to put you a bit on the spot. What's your favorite player and favorite team of all time and why? <sighs> wow. Well, I'm going to I'm going to go back in time. Um, and my. I, I grew up a Manchester United fan. Yes. And uh, I'll stay with soccer, but then maybe I'll come back to hockey. Um, and I I was just uh, in awe of Eric Cantona, mm. who was just this mercurial figure from France, who was a little bit arrogant, um, but just could back it up with the bravado on the field and, and uh, just was a legend. Um, and I just loved his leadership, his his creativity, his charisma. So that's where I, as a soccer player, as a soccer geek, uh, but obviously growing up in Canada, um, I and born in Montreal. I was encouraged to be a Canadiens fan. And I just thought Guy Lafleur was the best. Mm -hmm. You know, the flower, hair flowing down the ice, scoring big goals, winning Stanley Cups as a young kid. That's what I, that, that's who captivated me. 
you have these models in mind, and to to someone who's in the stands, they're almost like a god. They're they're someone really special, someone you want to become, and someone you're always behind, no matter what. And I believe in the corporate world, there's always a fear of judgment and criticism, and you always want to be at the top. So how do you overcome the fear of judgment? How do you like take in the criticism and build on it? Yeah, I mean, it's you. Yeah, it, it's never easy putting yourself on the line. You know, if you have to present or take a point of view, I think definitely a lot of people um, can struggle with, you know, having to make a decision or, um, you know, being responsible for a decision. Uh, I think, you know, culturally it helps if that's encouraged um, and you have people who are looking to um, help you grow and invest in your future. And you usually find that in most most roles, most companies, they, they want to see you grow and, and develop. I do think trial and error helps. I do think you have to kind of put yourself out there sometimes. It can be uncomfortable, but the more times you do it, the better you, you can become. I do think um, having peer support, uh, having a mentor, um, you know, all of that can really help as you grow and tackle new situations. Um, but I know, you know, if, if public speaking is your thing, how can you look to overcome that? How can you find ways to, to make that work? Um, and, it, you know, it just depends on exactly you know, what you want to do and, and who, how you want to be seen, what you need to work on. But I think if you identify some of those things and you work with a manager who's going to help you grow and help you um, sort of, uh, I guess, be empowered um, to get better, uh, that can be a pretty liberating um, and empowering uh, place to be. And Scott, one last question. So as a tradition, from our podcast, we like to share a quote from the previous guest and get your thoughts on it. So this quote comes from a serial entrepreneur who's been in the tech industry. And the quote goes, don't worry, everything will be amazing. What are your thoughts? <laughs> well, I love the I love the positivity of it. And I think um, I think it's a way to say Hey, you know, we can, uh, we can get over obstacles, you know, together. And I think it's the power of positive thinking is, um, really can take people that extra distance, you know, they, people remember how you make them feel not necessarily, you know, what you say. And I think that's a great one to say, Hey, let's, let's, let's envision, let's envision uh, the future we want. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for making it to the end of this episode. As a growing channel, it would be so amazing if you would take one more minute of your day to reshare this episode on any platform you're liking. Hope to see you next week.